When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to Nosotros, the podcast that explores San Antonio's politics, its people, arts, and cultura. I'm your host, Elaine Ayala, and I'm thrilled about my guest today. She's a legend in San Antonio. Maria Antonieta Berrio Zaval was the first Mexican-American woman to be elected to San Antonio's city council. For 10 years, she was on that council, serving as an unflinching, unflinching advocate for people. And they were central to every vote she cast. Her service stood out for its commitment to working class people to housing environmental issues. She saw each issue through a lens that focused on her low income neighborhoods. To this day, I know I'm not alone in lamenting the fact that she lost her mayoral race by just three points. She's a thought leader, a motivator, and what I appreciate most about her is that she's so hopeful about San Antonio's future, not because she's Pollyannish, but because she's mentored so many young activists already at work in their communities. Welcome, Maria. Uh, congratulations on receiving the Lifetime Achievement Award from Southwest Voter Registration Education Project. Um, I have so many questions, and we'll try to get to as many of them as possible. Mm-hmm. I'll start with this. Because we have so many young voters, young readers, listeners, and a lot of new San Antonians who may not know you, Let's start with your early life, your family's immigrant story, and how they influenced your life before politics came into the picture. First of all, Elaine, thank you so much for having me in your program. I appreciate your column, and I appreciate uh, that you're doing this for our community. Uh, In 1910, there was a revolution in Mexico. Uh, millions of people left, Mexicans. They came to the cities, they came to the countries. My families, the Arredondo family and the Rodriguez family, came, ended up in Lockhart, Texas, uh, building community there. They had a hard time uh, because there was discrimination, there was racism, there were economic struggles, uh, but they had um, a great faith. And one of the, or two of the values that uh, my parents uh, instilled on all of us was uh, that we had to, number one, appreciate community, appreciate family, and that we could do it because we had a deep faith. Uh, The um, issue of faith is very important in my life. And, and in your politics, in a way. Well, yeah, you don't, I mean, I don't talk about it. It's like, you know, I believe in the message of Jesus uh, to help your neighbor and to love your neighbor. And th- that's very simple. That's it. 
Very uh, central. Very central to the faith. And that's what my my um, parents taught all of us. Now, one um, memory that I have that is really my first memory of faith, and I like to share it because yes, it changed my life. That's how I met God and the whole idea of spirituality. We were little, my two brothers and I, and we were in a bed with my mother. And she was doing something, and it was like a mantra. It was very soft, and she kept saying it over and over and over. And it gave me peace. It gave me joy. I felt close to my mother. I felt safe. Uh, when you're a baby, that's very important. And she was praying. She was praying the rosary. She was saying Hail Mary over and over. Oh, so it's very repetitive, it, like like it, a Buddhist chant. Almost. It was a chant. It was a chant. It was a prayer. And that's and that's what the rosary is. You know, you say yes. it over and over. Uh -huh. And um, I'm amazed, you know, as I grew up, how much that sense of security, that sense of doing that chant, whatever it is at whatever age, is dealing with something that's bigger than you. And that's where you get your sustenance. So beautiful. Um, there are a lot of stories out there in our community about the rosary. I have one myself. Someday I'll tell that one. Um, you, you were on the subject of women and mothers and in our lives. And you've long talked about Latinas in a very, and the Latina population of San Antonio in a very interesting way about how they're key to the well-being of the city. Talk about that. How so? Well, um, you know, the thought comes to me right now, Elaine, of Mrs. Luz Escamilla, who was a founder of the Mexican-American Business and Professional Women's Club in 1972. And it was the first time that Mexican-American women in San Antonio and probably Texas came together on their own. She used to say, cuando uh, educas un hombre, educas un individuo. Cuando educas una mujer, educas una familia. When you educate a man, you educate an individual. When you educate a family, you... When you educate when, a, woman, a woman. you educate a family. family. Uh -huh. So going by that so thinking... True. Yes, so true. Yes, yes. Uh, you know, so many single moms. Um, the uh, So when you look at San Antonio and you see that even now and for some time already, the Latino, Hispanic, as the census calls us, population is the largest. So when you consider that females within that population, <coughs> excuse me, are the majority of that population, of that population yeah. Latinas are the largest number of people in San Antonio. Okay, I love that statistic. Yes. But it's also daunting. Well, what happens when you invest in a woman, you invest in a family, you invest in a community. And if we, if women were doing really well, if our Latina population, who are the mothers and a, a huge chunk of the workers at all levels, you know, running There's businesses, cleaning floors. <laughs> and being caretakers of our children and our elders. Uh, exactly. So to me... um, the investment in that that population of women will dictate how San Antonio does. We are still a poor city. We're the seventh largest city in the country, and we're still a poor city. When is that going to happen? You know, what are we doing to invest in that large population of people, talented, intelligent, young? Above all, we are a young so population. So we're the future generation, too. Forty percent in the state of Texas. Uh 
so I'm I'm really committed to working with with Latinas because to me is you lift that boat and you lift everybody else. That's right. That's right. The human um the capital investment in those humans will pay off for everybody. Yes. And especially in a in a city and in places in the city where there has been persistent poverty after all these years that poverty is persistent. Okay, your council election. It was a big deal. Uh, it happened in uh, 1981. Mm-hmm. Um, take us back to that time, um, <clears throat> how you got elected and how you stayed for 10 years. 10 years. Uh, that's a wonderful story. And again, I will focus on the women because I was not part of the establishment, right? The people that I ran against and the person that I ran um, in a runoff, uh, he was a police officer, had been a police uh, president of the police union, and he was really connected to the parties, to the power, and to the money. So here I decide to run because my community wanted me to. You know, Maria, run, my husband, you know, my family. So I ran— uh, and and the idea that we had was we're going to go and get the votes of people who never vote. You know, it's young people. It's uh, women that are busy. You know, maybe um, they don't get there. Uh, they're not the ones that are known. You know, it's the little people. And so we started. I started with the people in my church that I had, you know, been very active in. The women, the Latinas that I worked with. And uh, so I had all these people involved. A wonderful story I have is of these two ladies, Mrs. Nerio and Mrs. Arellano. <laughs> their parents were, their husbands and families were very involved in politics, mostly men. And they were supporting me, but they never got involved, right? They never said who they were supporting. And their parents, their husbands and children, boys, were supporting my opponent. So they got involved, you know, and at a, at a point, you know, they, you had one, the, the father had the name of the opponent and the mother had my name. Not only that, but they started block walking. These, they, they were old, these were ladies. And they had never done that No, before. no, that, I mean, they were the mother, they were the grandmother. And, you know, in our community, la mama is like very important. You know, yeah. she's at home, she's, you know, gets serenatas and, uh, and this, these ladies went out and block walked. Well, they were able to touch a community that nobody else had. Young people, uh, young people and people that were just beginning to organize the neighborhood movement. This was 1981. And now neighborhood associations are very, they have power, not in 1981, but I had met them. I had met King William people and Beacon <laughs> Hill people and Monte Vista people that are the Tier one uh, around downtown. Mm-hmm. So it was um, very targeted groups that I wanted to vote and yeah. for and they me, got they out. Did. And you know, I love um, uh, that uh, voter advocates always remind us that yes, we need to register people to vote, but the most important thing is to get out those that are already registered because yes. that would. That would um, affect a, an election like nothing else. Okay, you're um, you're 82 now. Wow, congratulations! You look great. And you left public office in 1991, um, though you never left community service, and you're involved even today. 
tell us what you did post-council, starting with your stay at Harvard. Talk about that and what that led to. Well, the um, it's losing uh, a race that was that huge. It, was, it, it got national attention. Yes, this <clears> was <throat> the uh, mayor's race against Nelson, uh, Nelson ultimately Wolf. against ultimately Nelson. Ultimately, uh, Nelson Wolf. Uh, it, it was it was major for me. The memory while it's happening is sheer joy, you know, working by five in the, num- in the morning, shaking hands with bus drivers to 11 o'clock at night, getting to the office full of energy. And my workers are there. How do you have so much energy? <laughs> well, because you get the energy from the people. Uh, there were nine uh, people who ran for mayor. Uh, the. Lila Cockrell, uh, may she rest in peace, in, incredible woman. A lovely lady. Uh, yes. Uh, I got 33% of the vote. In, in the general. In, a, in the, in the general, mm-hmm. in the general election. Uh, Nelson Wolf got, I think, um, uh, I got 33, Lila got like 26, and Nelson got like 24. So I got 33% out of nine. So I love how your husband says, for a little while you were the mayor. <laughs> my my daddy. Oh, your dad said that. My okay. daddy would tell me every day, you know, hijita, eres alcaldesa, por dos semanas. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was mayor for two weeks. Uh, and, and, you know, during that campaign, what I learned was how much power we don't have, which is why, why I lost. Um, the power is in the hands of very few people. And um, we have to know that, you know, we have to know that there's a bigger, a bigger political picture there. We have to negotiate. And that, that it's, uh, that it's hard. It's hard to keep, you know, pushing and pushing against like really powerful forces. But I did and, um, and I lost and it was hard. But then I, I got a phone call offering me a fellowship at Harvard University, like two months after I lost. And uh, I accepted it, and I went to Harvard, spent a fall in New England. How beautiful is that? Yeah, fall will never be the same. Uh, And I had these wonderful students. And one of the things that they did, here I am, I've just lost a race. I've been working 10 years on housing and children and the elderly and all these uh, water, energy. Uh, and um, having a difficult time. So they wanted to know the story. What about this? What about that? Uh, I I took all my materials and videos from my mayoral race. So two of the women in public policy a- analyzed them. So they had really studied me. And then they kept saying, uh, you did that? So why did you do that? I mean, couldn't you have like negotiated or compromised? There are issues that there's no compromise. Water is no compromise. Well, water. Either you build apple white in the south side, which we defeated gladly, mm-hmm. or you don't. I mean, and it's saving not- an arche- a, a very important archaeological area yes. for Native Americans. Yeah. So how do you compromise that? You just yeah. kill a little bit. <laughs> anyway, there's yes, some things that is no, that's it. And somebody has to say it. It's wrong. It's wrong. It's going to cost you votes. You know what? What's more important? Me being here, one person? Or a value, uh, something that people are saying, something that is protecting Mother Nature. What's more important, you and your position or that message? Mm-hmm. And then you pray and hope that there are people out there that are going to pick it up. Mm-hmm. You know, what those students did, they showed me the value of that. 
sometimes the value of no, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and the value of documentation of all this, which led to my book. Mm -hmm. Because what they did, they, they you should write a book. You know, you know, you need to tell those stories, uh, you know, how you got there. But your family, they were impressed because I told them the story of my family. And they were impressed because that was their story, too, for many of them. Maybe it was Germany or maybe it was um, some Asian country, but they were immigrants, too, at, at some point. And, and the book, by the way, it's a beautiful book, and it's titled Maria, Maria, Daughter, Daughter of, of immigrants. immigrants. Yeah. But the, the most important message... Uh, that I got at Harvard University, at that beautiful place, beautiful students. These students, bright, uh, they affirmed and they gave value to my work. I mean, I had loss and they gave, they gave value to that loss. I mean, you lost because of this. Hey, it's good. It's a powerful for you. message. I know it. So that's my book, you know, so I wrote my book. I want to go back to another one of your memories that um, I've interviewed you several times through the years, and it stays with me. And it's about you riding the bus and what that bus, um, through many, many years of riding the bus, because I don't think you learned to drive until you were 40. Oh, my goodness. Okay, so you rode the bus a long, long time. Mm -hmm. And you're, at first, your your family didn't have a car. So um, tell us about that experience and what it taught you? The first ride on the bus, we lived on Martin Street, so we just went straight to downtown on mm -hmm. the Martin bus, was my mother uh, taking us to the library in the bus, just showing us this is the library, and then going to the young people's room and the elephant and the world that it opened for me and for my brothers that were closer to my age. That's the first one. The second one is taking the bus to Providence High School. Uh, and I would ride the bus uh, to downtown. And in my neighborhood, most of the young people went to Fox Tech. And I remember sitting there with my little blue uniform <laughs> and watching all these girls from Fox Tech. And I would say, my goodness, they are all so beautiful. <laughs> they, they, you didn't feel beautiful in your little blue uniform? Oh, my uniform. God, no, <laughs> absolutely not. And my little uh, blue and white shoes, you know, and, and here they are with these beautiful skirts. And that was, was that poodle skirt? The poodle, the yeah. Oh, yeah, the, beautiful. The, yeah. And the little uh, sweaters with the little collars. And not all of them, but they wore clothes that I didn't have, you know, because I just needed a uniform. And, you know, we invested in the uniform and not in pretty little dresses. And this is, 14, what, 14, 15, 16, 17 years old. So that's an experience. And I would get to, like, sit with some of them. I had to, right? Uh but uh, to me, it was just outside and, and seeing uh, pretty, pretty, pretty girls <laughs> uh, and handsome young men, of mm -hmm. course, because I didn't go to school with, with young boys. Um, the other experience was, okay, I started working. I started working at the Salvation Army right after high school because my mission was to help my parents uh, because my Younger siblings were all, you know, in school, and we wanted them to finish school, you know, whatever that meant. So I decided, you know, I'm going to go to college at night, San Antonio College, which I did, and I'm going to work during the day. So my first job was with the Salvation Army. My next job was with Hemisphere 68. The first one was at S.H. Crescent Company. All, all of them, you know, 
So from 1955, they were all on the bus route. They were all on the bus route. <laughs> uh, they were all downtown. Mm-hmm. Even the American Federation of Government Employees that said, Kelly, I took three buses. Okay. But the most important ride was my house, kind of close to 24th Street to downtown, mm-hmm. because I got to see the changes of the inner city in those 20 years. I got to see businesses disappear. I got to see the uh, impact of urban renewal, not just in the actual side, but in the neighborhoods around it. Uh, and it was very sad uh, seeing. And I noticed, you know, I mean, I, I studied. I wasn't just sitting on the bus. I was, you know, oh, my goodness, that store is closing now. There used to be like the Italian store, the a church. Uh, the Marianite Church of, uh, that was there, uh, and all these businesses that I used to see, and then all of a sudden they're gone. The houses start uh, to have weeds around them. And uh, in the years that have passed, I have looked at those years. Okay, so what was happening then? And it's very interesting because it continues to happen in the West Side. You know, it continues to. It's happen. disappearing. Yeah, you could see the the signs of gentrification. I live um, in the very near west side on Buena Vista, and houses around me are have signs for sale, and uh, and some of the older families are are gone. The elders are gone, and um, and those. Um, those speculators, those developers, their offers can be enticing for some of them. And um, there, there's something in the renewal. I do see something in the renewal because I, I have seen some new businesses come in and they're Latino owned and they're fresh and they're young and they're hungry. That's beautiful to see that they've taken ownership. And I just wrote about the San Antonio Philharmonic taking yeah, offices on the West Side. That the was, West side. I mean, I've had nothing but positive, positive mm-hmm. um, reaction to that story. So, but there is that encroachment that um, it's, it's, it's tough on the housing market. It's tough on people to afford a place, a decent place to live. But there's like an important question. Uh, in in the issue of gentrification, what results in gentrification? Anytime we think, okay, public money is going to be used for this, for an economic generator, we're going to put this uh, stadium or this um, university or this um, uh, a structure that's called an economic generator. Every time we do that, even if it's a business. We have to always ask, how is that going to affect the people who have been there for generations? We have to ask the question. Then the answer can be different things. One can be, we don't care, you know, if if they have to leave because the taxes go up, it gentrifies, fine. But at least a question has to be asked and answered. What investment are you making in the housing, in the fabric of neighborhood so that you can enhance it with more things. How can you uh, steady the the culture the, of neighborhood uh, so that it'll sustain new people coming in? And there's an environmental impact too. Talk about that because we're now seeing, besides the pearl and and that huge 
um, generator on and changing Broadway, but, and probably Brackenridge Park, but also what will be the impact of putting these huge, um, buildings, these huge institutions and their parking lots in the middle of downtown? Well, and right now, you know, people are talking about baseball park, uh, basketball park with thousands of, um, of, uh, Parking spaces needed. That's concrete. That's concrete. Whatever it is, is concrete. And it's in an area that's the biggest heat island in the city. You know, where if at the airport, it's 105 degrees, uh, where this man recently died was 114. You know, people are walking around in 114 that if you fall, you better be careful because you're going to burn if you don't get up right away. Um so we have to think of, of all those things. The environmental issues that we're suffering because of climate change uh, need to always be there. Whatever policies we make, always. We are a poor city. How are we going to lift the lives of those women we were talking about? What's this decision going to do for that uh, community? And what's it going to do to the environment, you know? To see, to walk by buildings and see people with water spreading, you know, their green lawns. I'm proud of my brown uh, lawn. I'm proud of my brown lawn. <laughs> we should have a sign that says, um, I'm proud of my brown lawn. What's, uh, this sort of leads to the uh, next question is, what's your advice for young people who are considering a life in politics or public service? Um I'd love to know what you say to them, what you think about when you see that either that um, that ambition or that longing in there in them. Uh, and I hope that there are many and that they're not disappointed in government these days and that they decide that they can change it. You know, young people can do it. And because they're so high tech and they understand, um, uh, yeah, technology. I suggest that they create their own app. Their app is their life. They got to know who they are. You got to know who you are. You have to know, you know, where you came from, who got you there, on whose shoulders do you stand? And then you have your experience, your education, your volunteer work. And then you take that to the public setting. In other words, it's not like, well, you're this person, but you're going to go sit there and you're going to become that. People say, oh, well, I can't run because I don't know politics. You don't become, you bring yes, it. Yes, ex that's a great way to put it succinctly. I can't do that. But um, to to take who you are and what you're going to do, that's your gift, who you are, where you've been, because you're of the people. And government, our government is you represent the people. So you're of the people, so you go, and this person that's like all the others is there, and you don't lose that. You don't say, oh, oh well, I'm here, and I really don't like this because my community is not going to like it, but you know what? I kind of have to do it because everybody else is doing it. You oh, conform. You conform. You become part of that political class. So just stick to your values. Uh, stick to who you are. Invest in yourself. Educate yourself. Read. I mean, now everything is in Google. You know, what's happening? Who's saying what? What are they going to do with my money? I need a house. Right now I'm having a hard time buying a house. Why can't I buy a house? Mm -hmm. Who's making the decisions? Be informed. Read. Educate yourself at whatever age. That's right. Okay. Um, 
What are you working on today? What are some of the issues that you care about that you're working on, um, even if we don't read about it in the paper anymore? Well, um, a lot of people know me and, you know, I have connections. Uh, right now, I'm a caregiver for my husband. That's what I do. I'm not able to do much. By the way, I should interject here that um, just besides your lifetime achievement uh, award from Southwest Voter, you, you and your husband were recently honored by UTSA with a chair, an endowed chair named in both of your names. How wonderful is that to an institution that he gave his life to and that you always promoted? And that I'm a graduate yes. from UTSA, class of 79. And the great thing is that they have just hired the first faculty of the Berriozabal chair. And her name is Dr. Erica Tatiana Camacho. She was a student of Jaime Escalante. Wow. He encouraged her to go to college. She went to Wellesley. She went to Cornell. She's brilliant. And and she's going to be at UTSA. I want, I'm going to meet her next week. Oh, We're going to meet her next week. But I am uh, honored, privileged, happy to have lived what we just celebrated 46 years of marriage, my my husband, Manny, and me. Thank you for bringing that up. He's a wonderful, wonderful man. Oh, a, and good, a good, incredible man. contribution. And brilliant. And brilliant. brilliant. Uh, so I never know. I'm doing my house. I'm cleaning. Everybody should be downsizing. And when you die, don't let somebody else do the work. Do it yourself. So that's what I'm doing. And it's a lot of work. Uh, but I get a call or I read the paper. I read your column. I read somebody else's column. Uh, I see something on on television. I gotta. I mean, I gotta say what I think. Well, one is just on Facebook putting all <laughs> I think. Yes. Uh, the other one is helping people get to meetings and stuff. I learned that somebody's having a meeting on something. Okay, let's go right now. A very important issue that I think most people think ha has already died, and it really hasn't. When people give up at dice, people have not given up, and that's the changes that are being made um, at Brackenridge Park. They're uh, tearing down trees. They're uh, shutting killing the habitat for birds and the uh, indigenous community uh, community of this city has filed a lawsuit uh, against the city for what they're preparing to do because they are destroying their church actually because that's where they go pray it's a very sacred space for them and they filed the lawsuit and i really would encourage everybody to just go to the computer and google the lawsuit that against the city so they can learn why that space is sacred. And it so happens that there's a constellation of stars that is mirrored by the shape of the river where they pray. I mean, they there's a picture, you know, in the lawsuit. You know, it goes like that, it goes like that. And then down here, there's a river, goes like that, goes like That's that. That's miraculous. Like that. it, it's it, just it, beautiful. It mirrors it. I mean, what, you know, I, I, I get chills when I first read it. And I said, how come I didn't know this? How come I didn't know that? And that the blue hole around where our water is born, we have water. The city was shaped because of water. And that blue hole is important. The river starts there coming into the city. Uh, 
So, you know, I just encourage people to just inform themselves, even if it's just to read the lawsuit. And then there'll be meetings because the the very small group um, is, uh, you know, working with uh, some really good attorneys on that lawsuit. And it's going to be heard uh, in September sometime. Okay. Uh, but that's a very um, important issue one you know, one that I'm working with, immigration is never over. There's always the issue of immigration. Housing, there's always the issue of housing that doesn't go away. There's always the issue of water. There's always the issue of energy. How much do poor people pay? Uh, what are we doing to rate structures? Uh, all those things, one can have a little influence, even if it is just providing the history. We shouldn't reinvent the wheel. This already happened. Let me tell you this happened. Use it any way you want to, but know that we have been here before. And if you live long enough, you're going to know a lot. Just because you lived long enough, not because you're so smart. <laughs> you remember all the stories. You remember all the stories. Um, once again, you're so hopeful. And uh, there's a reason for that, that um, we were just talking about um, recently that um, you spouted out a lot of names that I did not recognize. But you know them. You mentor them. This is why you're helpful. Tell us about them. Mention some of them. What are they doing? Uh, I think there's a space in humans uh, that embrace the young. You know, like parents, I'm sure, know that. Mm -hmm. uh, and when you have children, your hope is your children. I mean, you'd have to be, I don't know, not to say, hey, there's children, there's grandchildren. I mean, that's what I produce. And I think maybe that's where things come from. Uh, but I have met young people and I listen to them and then they start frustrated about this issue or, you know, we did this and we lost and it, this is what government does. So then, but they start talking about the way they see it. And instead of being an older person says, no, 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 that's not the way it's done. No, God puts, if humani humanity is going to evolve, I think it's going to evolve from the minds of the young that are born and come with new ideas. You know, that, that you know, your child, my God, look at this child. He's five and look what he's doing. Uh, that's a treasure. And then to meet one, okay, so he's a lawyer. To meet another one, I met her because we were having this um, a fight, like PGA, and we lost. And she got so frustrated that she went back to school and got a doctorate. Another one that hadn't finished her college, she goes back and she goes to college. Another one that had her has her master's goes and gets her doctorate. Um, another one that's really grassroots working in her neighborhood has learned um, um about the problems of climate change, you know, in, in her own neighborhood. Uh, and what we have a responsibility to do in our, in our own family too. Children, this does not exclude, you know, family members that are young, that we listen to them, that we provide that history. Oh, you know what, what you're thinking, let me tell you what was done before. So our job is, okay, I'll fill in the blanks and let me see you dream. What do you want to do? And then commit to supporting them. When they're sad to say, don't give up. No, uh-uh. Look, a lot of people came before you and did all this. And look at in our Mexican-American community, all the things we can tell them. 
Look at all the organization that these young Latinos, Chicanos at the time, the institutions they formed. And a lot of them are having the 50th anniversary. 50th anniversary. All in a row, all because of 1967, 68, 69, all, they're all lining up. So what happened 50 years ago? What was happening that young people decided, you know what? Uh-uh. It's about going to the courts. It's about law. Another one said, nope, it's about voting. We're going to vote. Another one said, nope, it's about con- uh, concentrating on education. Another one said, you know what? We're going to invest in children. Uh, young. They were young. And they made huge, a huge impact. Yeah. So but we're not done for no, so no, no. much more to do. No, no, no. And it's being done. People are forming their groups and we don't know them yet, but I call them the map makers. The map? The map makers. They're the children. They're the young people that are shaping these maps. And there's going to come a time. I'm not going to be here. Uh, when those minds and hearts are going to be needed. To solve problems that we cannot even imagine what they are. We cannot imagine. We see Maui burn. We see glaciers. I mean, we see floods. Like, it's huge. The wildfires and the hurricanes, all, all of it extreme weather. But to me, the hope is in the children, in the map makers, and like parents who really invest in shaping the lives of these beautiful children, and that I know many of them. So uh, at this time, I get frustrated and I get angry, uh, disappointed when I see things happening with our democracy, breaks my heart. But I, I can't say, oh, forget it. No, no, no. That hope has to be, you know, keep hope alive that the African-American community that's taught right. us. Well, that's a wonderful place um, to end this segment. Uh, I I can tell you that. Um, I can talk to Maria Berizaval for hours, and I won't be done. And through the years, I've just been so honored that you've taken time to tell me stories that I've been able to write about, and I thank you once again. And um, let's celebrate your 82 years, and let's celebrate your anniversary with uh, Manny. Um, congratulations on everything. Thank you so much. Thank you. 